Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. One of the keys to, like, maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. Hello and welcome to another Irish Man Running Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan, an Irish athletics legend, Sonia O'Sullivan in Australia. It is crazy to think, Sonia, that we met in 2014 and we haven't met since. Here we are doing this show. We haven't met since the start of this. But whether you're running multiple marathons or just an odd 5k kind of person, or you're like me, less than a year into giving running a go for the very first time, your mentality, your mindset or your mental approach to whatever it is you're doing, it might be more important than the shoes on your feet. Well, today you've heard of the Mamba mentality. Well, we're going to look at the Sonia mentality. What goes, what does our coach, uh, Sonia Sullivan, give us her perspective on the head stuff needed to get where you want to go with your running? First of all, Sonia, hello. What a week we had with our own running here on Irishman Running Abroad in the Challenge. St. Patrick's Day 5K was a huge success, Sonia. Our biggest event ever with more Egypts than I expected, dressed in green, out giving it a go. What did you think of the whole thing, seeing all those posts on Strava? It was amazing, you know, and even we had our own run here in Melbourne and um, it was linked in with the running home challenge. Mm. One of the girls put her hand up and decided to put the word out and get a bunch of Irish people to turn up at 7 a.m. on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> amazing. We were up before the sun. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I saw and some of the videos. It was so funny. I went, oh, it was fantastic. I think we were both surprised because I was in touch. It was Simon um, Keegan and... Um, the night before I said to her, how many do you think will turn up? And she said about 40. And I was thinking, I was kind of at that time thinking, you know, would there be even 10? <laughs> and it was nearly 100, I think, when yeah. we got down there. It was amazing when I was riding my bike over to the Albert Park Lake and you could see all these people walking in jerseys of counties and Irish rugby jerseys and, Magic. you know, all sorts of jerseys that you just knew they were Irish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could tell by the so heads you knew of them. Everybody... <laughs> Oh, everybody knew they were going in the right direction, and and it was it was so much fun. It was really really good fun. Yeah, like I know that uh, everybody was a little bit reluctant to post their their pictures themselves in their greens. There was a few standouts. We said we'd give a a gift bag to the person who made the most effort. I reckon the few that are up there at the moment: Jonathan Hamill, fair play to you, Robert Williams, Elaine de Courcy, Emer O'Brien, Seamus McAteer, as always. 
Hannah Fortune really went all out with the with the jocks on, the green jocks on on the outside. <laughs> so not even running shorts. These were full on green Y fronts. I, like Hannah Fortune to me, just for sheer. I don't know. You see, it's hard to know. Sonia, do you think she ran in the jocks or did she pose in the jocks in the house <laughs> and, and then revert to well, normal wear? I think we have <laughs> We have to assume she ran in them and she'll, she'll have to correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would have been the biggest head turner of the day. Absolutely. Know, to see her it, running down the road. You know, Brian. Stand out running. Yeah, exactly. You know, Brian Cahill, uh, Cahill O'Connell, they all went fairly straightforward. Brilliant to see the, the picks up. But uh, I think Hannah Fortune has to win it for that effort. She's has several pictures if people want to have a look in the, in the group to see exactly how crazy she looked out there. It's all, of course, in aid of our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie, an incredible Irish mental health charity doing amazing work and providing great content and services for young people back in Ireland who might be struggling or might just want to equip themselves with a bit more kind of mental resilience for the times they're in and the times that are ahead. So in some ways, it's a perfect, perfect charity for what we're going to talk about here today, Sonia. Uh, but before we do, I should say that I myself ran my my PB for that 5K. I actually have no idea how how I did it. I, I really don't have much recollection of the run. Do you ever have that where you like look down at the watch at the end, Sonia, and you're like, oh, wow, that that wasn't that wasn't what I was thinking in my head as I was doing it. Yeah, I think you, you can you can lose a few kilometers in there sometimes and you don't really know where you're at. Mm. So, yeah, no, the the end result can be a big surprise, which is always great. I think people are probably more used to seeing that, you know, when they're in an event and you're coming down the straight and you look up and you can see the big clock over the banner at the finish line. And, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, a bit of a cutoff time, a round number or something. And people, you, they're always racing into the finish line. Yeah. And it's a real exciting time, you know, for people to... I suppose get a bit of positive feedback and, you know, really good energy to see that you've actually run faster than you've ever done before. Yeah, like it really does buoy you up. I mean, like you say, as I said at the start, I'm so fresh to this. Like I, it's only when I look back and I realise that I haven't done even I've barely done six months of running. It, it, like my my mental attitude and my mentality on running fluctuates. And I think that over the course of the six months, I've probably fallen into every pothole and pitfall there is to fall into in terms of your thinking on it. I think at one point I was comparing way too much, way too much. And it's probably the, the Instagram age that we're in and probably Strava to a degree that you're looking at other people going, oh, I should be doing that. Or why, why am I doing this when this person's doing that? They're roughly like me. <laughs> Surely I, I should be doing this. And um, if I could start off our discussion on mentality with this, that that's the headspace that's needed from my perspective for the six, this first six months of running seems to be a kind of in, intrinsic motivation or a sense that you've kind of chimed in with over and over again is that the running it comes from within you and it's without it's for you and of you rather than being about external things. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot about the balance of like your 
how you physically feel and how you mentally feel. And it can be so, it can fluctuate so much, you know, on any given day of the week. And I think it's those fluctuations that can throw you sometimes if they, you know, either go a little bit too high or a little bit too low. Whereas you're trying to kind of, you know, if you kind of think of an up and down kind of wave going along, you want it to be nice and even as much as possible. But, you know, it's, it's not possible for everybody to be like that all the time. I mean, it would be rare, I think, for anybody to have, you know, that constant steady flow. And I think if you do, then you're not getting the highs that you should be getting. Because I think, and then to get those highs, you also have to accept that there's going to be a low coming along at some point. Because, you know, you, you, you know as soon as you get, achieve something really good or you feel, you know, better than you've ever felt before, you nearly expect to feel like that every day. And sometimes you don't. And then, you know, the, I suppose the more you do, the better you get, the more you question yourself when things don't go to plan. And you have that, it's a bit of a letdown really that you get. And like I would have experienced that a lot over the years. And people would have warned me about it as well. You know, when you go to championships, that is such a huge build up to getting to, you know, whether it's the European Championships or the World Championships or, you know, even the Olympics. Like, that's all people are talking to. And then you get there and, you know, everybody's happy to be there. But even if you get a really high positive result, it's still a bit of a letdown afterwards because you're kind of like, what do I do now? You know, you're kind of let there to mull over it. And, you know, there are times when, you have quite a bit of time to yourself to think about it. And and a lot of those times are like when you have more time, when you have a day off, say, I often feel this way on a day off. Now, these days, you know, if I have kind of a planned, easy day or a rest day and all of a sudden it's not that same, that same kind of routine and, you know, get up and go that you do on a day when you know you're going to go out for an hour run or a faster run or a longer run. You know, you kind of have, you've it all boxed off in your head how much time that's going to take in your day, where you're going to fit it in. But all of a sudden you've got this kind of empty day, even though you've got loads of other stuff going on in your life. But you're kind of like, oh, but I'm missing something. <laughs> and I think the more that you rely on the physical part of exercise and running to boost up your mental state of mind, then the more you miss it when, you know, even if you just take one step back for one day and you're going to think, I've got to do something here and you can be a bit antsy and, you know, the time can even go by. You lose time. You're kind of thinking, I, I should be using this day for to be more productive or to do more things because I have that time because I don't have to go for that run today. Mm, yeah, no, but I don't think there's a listener that will uh, that won't be able to associate with what you're talking about here. I, I nearly couldn't put my finger on it until you said it. But the navigating those down days is as hard as anything, because, as you say, there's a there's a vacuum as to where this thing that you would have focused your day on and looked forward to. And that suddenly that little space, you realize that you've kind of given yourself worth over to whether you did a certain distance that day. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And like you have to be able to understand that, you know, if you keep pushing the physical, you know, 
I have to get out for a run every day. I have to, you know, be active every day. Then eventually your mind is just going to get tired of it and that's going to crash. And that's when, you know, you know, you, you definitely don't want to get to that point because then you got to build yourself back up again. And, you know, I, today I, I went for an easy run today and I had a couple of big days running on the weekend. I went to a park run on Saturday and a couple of the girls that I coach were running their 100 park run. So even though I was only going over to run around, you know, with them and to support them, be there, you still, you know, if you line up and someone says, ready, set, go, you you always run a bit faster than if you're out there by yourself plodding around for an easy run. And then I was at the track on Sunday. And um, yeah, so then today I purposely thought, no, I'm going to run really easy today. And, you know, I had to be really disciplined not to look at my watch because sometimes if you've planned an easy recovery run and you look down at your watch and it's telling you a slower time than you want to be running, you kind of think, yeah, but I'm fitter than that. I should feel better running faster. <laughs> yeah, don't tell <laughs> me like I'm that all slow. these mind games. Yeah. Coming. <laughs> yeah, so I just had to totally ignore it today and, um, you know, just finish up on the beach with Winnie and, you know, the, the thing was, OK, we've got to go to the beach and she needs to go for a swim. <laughs> well, so obviously you've, so you you've changed. Change. You, yeah, but you've changed clearly. Like, I mean, the, the person we hear talking to us every week on this show is a million miles from the person in the footage that gets trotted out every time Ireland speaks about athletics, uh, that that person it must seem like, you know, you must look at that person with an awful lot of affection and recognize that it is still you. But in terms of her mentality towards this thing, like, do you look back on that as, wow, look at my mental toughness? Or do you think, oh, I wish I could go back and put my hand on her shoulder and maybe tell her a couple of things that would have really helped? I, well, I think in some ways I would still be the same in, you know, the the way that I actually do have to talk to myself and convince myself to do certain things or not do certain things. And, you know, you you just have these instinctual things that kind of they're like switches that switch on and off, you know, when you're in an environment that you used to be in. And I, I think for me to be able to do what, what I do now and to, you know, be able to relate to people who run at all different levels and, you know, enjoy it is I definitely had to detach myself from that high level runner that I used to be. And so I would view myself now as, you know, more of a fitness runner and I don't compare or have anything to do with what I used to do. Other than, you know, if I go down to the track like I did yesterday in on a Sunday morning and you know it's normally you go to the track and there's nobody down there Sunday morning is like peak hour at the track in Geelong <laughs> yeah you know you're turning up and there's people on the inside and they've obviously organized they're they're playing soccer in there and I'm thinking oh no I'm gonna have to deal with all this now <laughs> there's kids riding bikes there's uh, <laughs> around the track there's just so much stuff Oh, yeah, that's like a big no-no. That really, <laughs> they're riding towards me. They're only little kids, like, you know, so you have to be tolerable and you have to kind of mm -hmm. say, okay, I've got to just deal with this now and not panic and get annoyed. But it's weird how that, you know, thing that I suppose, it, it's kind of like it's my office and this is my space. I 
I know everything here. <laughs> and the fact that there's people there who have no idea. Yeah, you mentioned and you this can't to me in, 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 a, in a WhatsApp, you said about <laughs> had I ever run on a track and do I know the track <laughs> etiquette? I, I, I actually started to think about it twice, like I literally twice <laughs> in my life I've been mm. on a running track. And one was for my school <laughs> in like I realized I actually ran it in a Leinster championship for my school. I, I realized I didn't know training. I just showed up. It was basically a day off school. And I think I took part in the steeplechase. <laughs> it's oh just like, yeah, I can jump over things. <laughs> I had no clue. And no, the only other time I've been on a track, Sonia, was when they did that fartlek thing down here in the St. Albans track. Now, there was some serious runners down there. And I started to panic that like, oh, my God, were they all tutting and you know, having the moment that you were having down there. I don't know what is the track etiquette. Is it just like a, my, I took the attitude of stay the feck out of the way of anybody that's, <laughs> that's doing their that's doing their running anyway, seriously. Well, I think everybody, well, everybody, you know, everybody has the right to run in lane one at their fastest speed or, you know, if they're doing something that's measured. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as you're not running, you know, if you're recovering or, you know, between intervals, then you move out. And mm. you and you look around all the time like you're crossing the road. Gotcha. Look around <laughs> in you. case somebody fast is coming. Yeah. So you definitely have to look around and be aware. And I suppose the thing is, if there's people playing soccer on the infield, they have no idea about a track and they don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's their right. But, you know, it's it's an instinctual thing or a trigger. It's like a trigger in my brain that like, it's like a red light and. And now in some in many ways, I see the funny part of it. And, you know, you'd be going around and you're laughing to yourself like there's a fella and there's a bunch of people in the corner and they have a dog and they think it's really funny that they're kicking the ball out onto the middle of the track and the dog is flying out. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, my God, if I come around here and I'm going as fast as I can, which is not very fast, (laughs) I'm still going to fall over that dog. And you see, and you start to have visions of this going on, and that it's actually you see yourself like sprawled all over the track. And yeah. now you're going to explain this, but I couldn't stop. <laughs> I was in the middle of something. <laughs> but it's so funny because you—it's obviously your and, place of work, as you say. That like your your connection to this place, like for them, it's a completely recreational facility, just like a half court basketball or five a side pitch. But for you, it's it's full on. Uh, it's like somebody going into the gym and throwing around the weights. It, it, it just wouldn't. It's not the done thing. So is is that the conflict that's happening in you anytime anyone's down there? So, well, you see, the problem is that generally I'm down there. There's nobody down there. And oh, it's okay. like anything, you know, if you have the space to yourself, you're so happy. And, you know, but then you're kind of thinking, why is there nobody here? How come there's never anyone at this track? And then on Sunday morning, they all turn up and you're like, all right, OK, I've got to I've got to do a few dodging around here now. And it just means that you have to be on high alert. Mm. And, you know, sometimes when you like sometimes I go to you go to a place to run where you know that you're not going to have to cross any roads or stop. And so that then you can just switch off and you can put your head down and you run along and you're in your own thoughts and you don't have to worry about it. Unless sometimes these people in Australia are a bit pedantic about sticking to the left. And <laughs> if you happen to veer off to the right 
and you like I was last week running down this gravel path and this fella's coming towards me on a bike and I was a bit tired because it was the end of a long run but I didn't have time to move and he refused to go around me oh no a full-on <laughs> chicken like, game not run on a... <laughs> oh it was awful but you know it, and I'm thinking oh you know you sometimes there's so much space here you know it's not that difficult to just you're on the faster machine here <laughs> Just go around me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, some of some of what you're describing and the thing you mentioned here is going from the elite athlete and the kind of hyper competitive Tony McCoy end of this activity to, as you say, being a health and fitness runner and having to interact with people who have never had the aspirations or lasered focus that you had earlier in your life. What's the hardest part about that change? And what did you come to realize about working with people like myself, like most of our listeners, that you the certain things that you couldn't go to and the things that actually, yeah, now this will be useful when speaking to this level of runner? Well, I think um, I had to. I suppose you just have to reduce the kind of expectations of yourself and you nearly have to stop and start again. And I think I did go away from athletics and running for, for a while. And then eventually when you bring yourself back to it and you're on a different level, you, it's like an acceptance of where you're at and you try all these other things like swimming and cycling and triathlon. And then you realize that the time that you spend running is the time that you enjoy the most. And, you know, I sometimes I think, you know, when I was competing at a high level and training really hard, did I enjoy the running or did I actually enjoy, you know, the competing and, and the success that it brought? And I, I, I definitely think I prefer, you know, I really enjoyed what I got from running. But back then I didn't realize what else you could get from running. So it took me a while to figure that out because when I retired or stopped running, you know, internationally and at any kind of high level, it was around like the mid 2000s. And it was a little bit before this new wave of running boom and everybody loving running and, you know, the mass participation races and park run was actually just getting started back then. So it was just at that time when, you know, you were either training and competing at a really high level or you were retired. And I kind of thinking, well, I don't want to be retired, but I'm not quite fast enough to be competing. So I was nearly in a place. I'd had no place to go. Mm-hmm. And it took me a few years to to work that out and to find my place, I suppose, in, you know, what we would call the normal world. Sure. And no, probably the, nobody of, to train with either. Yeah, no, it was difficult because you'd be turning up to train with, you know, people who were still competing and training hard and it was hard work. So then, of course, if it's hard work and you can't keep up and you start getting injured because you're pushing yourself too much, then you start to dislike it because you're not enjoying it. And, um, you know, I often wonder if I had, you know, done maybe another sport at a higher level sooner, you know, would I have been successful at that? Like something like cycling or, yeah, probably cycling would have been the thing, I think, or possibly triathlon. 
but if I had done it when I was kind of just out of running, I still had that kind of, I suppose, the um, the desire to train hard and to be competitive. Um, but I couldn't do it all in running as much as I wanted to because there's so much wear and tear in your body with the running that you need that extra kind of break away to have days off and, you know, I could have then probably put it put that energy into other sports. But, you know, that I suppose it wasn't there back then. The opportunity wasn't there. There wasn't people there to direct you down those paths. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like this is so, this is really interesting to me because what it says to, you know, our newbie runners uh, and even, you know, people who aren't quite noobs, but are, are at this a relatively short amount of time for not targeting any medals or championships that you you too had a struggle with the headspace required to enjoy it at this level. I know that that's a constant struggle. Uh, Like, I I feel like you said there earlier that it goes in waves and that, you know, what you got to try and make sure is that there isn't too much of a high and too much of a low in there. That 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 still applies to what we're doing here, whether it's a St. Patrick's Day 5K or just now on Sunday going out for yeah the the longest run possible at the slowest pace that's reasonable my head fluctuates and i know from our listeners that theirs do as well that they can get too in their mind about say uh running the same routes over and over again starting to feel like what's the point and starting to kind of get away from the joy that was there to start with when you're working with people like us, what are the mistakes that you see people making again and again that result in their mentality shifting to a place that is going to make this difficult to sustain long term? I, I think it's when you do the same things over and over again. And, you know, as much as the routine and the daily structure, it sets you up really well, you know, when you do the same things over and over again, you're bound to get bored at some point. So I think every now and then you have to reset yourself. And the perfect time to do that is when you do an event or you set a PB and then you reset the challenges. And as much as you have similar structure in each week, you know, it is a really nice thing to be able to go and run in a different place. Like I used to always look, there always comes a time when you're looking forward to, you know, going to Ireland, I suppose, was a thing for me. And, um, you know, you'd be going, you'd be going or even over to Teddington in London and you're going back to all your favourite runs again. But you only need a week of that and it kind of rejuvenates you and gets you, I don't know, you, you just, I suppose you relive memories that you had in places that you enjoyed being. And you get back to experienced runs there. And, and I'm sure for a lot of new runners, if they go back to one of their favorite holiday places or, you know, different places that they would have visited throughout their life and maybe they didn't run when they were there before, that that would be a huge boost, you know, to say, well, I wonder what it's like to run where we used to go all the time. And so it's a whole new world of exploring when, you know, you take up a new sport or and, you know, it becomes a part of your day that you never had before when 
you know, you went to different places on holidays or to visit people or just places that you lived throughout your life and you go back to revisit them. And But now your eyes and mind is open to, you know, finding places to run. Oh, well, I'm, I'm massively excited about that prospect. Like I actually I remember in August you sending me out around Curraha County Meath where Tina's parents live. And, you know, barely being able to get up the road. Like, I, I, I know, I, I hope I don't harp on this for the listeners too much, but like, I, I was a sorry state at the beginning. That's where the 3000% improvement <laughs> comes in. I was a bit of a shambles. <laughs> I laugh about it now because I thought it was great. Like, I was tottering along. But I guess that achievement back then was getting out. But I really do look forward to getting back to those places. And I'd imagine you're right that it would completely revitalize you to go back to these places that were once a struggle that are no longer a struggle. With that being said, Sonia, a five kilometre radius will not allow us to do that at the moment. So many of us are desperate to get back to Ireland and so many of us are desperate just to visit other places and do other things. In the absence of that, is there anything else we can use to reset? A couple of things that I stumbled across were that you've mentioned before is the social element of it. We are allowed meet people to exercise is actually trying to get a partner or a trio together. Is is that another way of kind of clicking the mindset to a, the dial over to the right a little bit? I I think it is, you know, I mean, I, I for one, I do run even though I'm, you know, don't have to but I do a lot of running by myself um, and then every now and then you know like we went to the park run on Saturday and you go and you kind of relax a bit when you turn up somewhere and there's other people around and you have a chat and they're happy to see you and you're happy to see them and it's like it's a whole different energy that mm-hmm. takes you over I think and you kind of whereas I think sometimes when you turn up to do something by yourself the weight of what you're about to do can be weighing you down. <laughs> you're kind of, because there's, there's so much stuff going on in your head, like, oh, geez, I didn't sleep good last night. <laughs> I don't feel great this morning. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a bit, so it's a, you often will get this, you know, before a hard training session or before a race when you do that five or 10 minute warm up and you can feel a bit heavy. And so you get, you know, on if you're by yourself, you're more likely to get the negative feedback and thoughts going through your head and I think that you have to be able to kind of block not totally block it out but just accept that you know but this is only the warm-up I'm not supposed to feel good now I'm just warming up and you know you you lower the expectations and you kind of gradually warm yourself up into what you're about to do yeah but when you do meet other people it does make a big difference to, to line up with them and you know, to, I just, I suppose you're all in it together and you're all understand each other, what yeah, you've done their to energy get to this lifts point. You up. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think we don't always realize this because sometimes you can be going to some event or something, you're thinking, you know, you agree to do something, but then you're not really sure why did I agree to do this? Oh my God, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get there and you're kind of thinking, 
oh, this is actually not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then you're coming home and you're thinking, that. Oh, you're like, just get, just start. I'm so I mean, glad I did this. Yeah, that's what, that, that actually, when I think about it, Sunday was an exceptionally hard run for whatever reason. It shouldn't have been hard. But you know what I'm talking about here, where you're like, it's exactly what you're talking about, where it's this doesn't feel I feel heavy. I don't really want to do this. And all these thoughts are in my head. And I remember Shane Horgan in an episode of the main show, Irishman Abroad, saying that his his mantra is two words. Just start. Not not the Nike. Just do it. We have to mention shoe dog later. But I thought it was so powerful. Just start. It's a mantra that I've I've gone back to again and again when I've been in those moments of, oh, I don't really want to do this or I don't want to go. (laughs) That's that's the other thing. If you start going. When you enter into the cycle of procrastination, (laughs) finding other things to do. Like, have you have you I, I think I've asked you this before, but have you mantras or certain sentences that you go back to or do you believe in that at all? Like, I remember you saying that, no, I try not to think, try not to have a, a, a conscious inner monologue going. And that's the goal here is to get to a state of uh, relaxation where your mind isn't consciously thinking or urging you, pulling you any which way direction. But do, is there a is there a certain sentence or mantra that you will tell yourself at different moments to adjust that mental state? Um, I don't really have any words, but I, I have this thing where I try to just calm myself a bit and you try to get calmness across you that you don't I, put pressure on yourself. Hmm. And I think that's what allowed me to go back and run at the track, which I do once every week now. And I really enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes I feel absolutely rubbish for those 10 or 15 minutes warming up. But as soon as I start running on the track, I think I can just put myself in it. Is it like you put yourself in the zone and there's a bit of serenity about it that you just kind of find the sweet spot of what you're trying to do. And I think you're able to do that when you lower your expectations and you're doing things that you know you're capable of doing. Mm. Um, so, but then, you know, I know sometimes if I have something down to run a bit faster, so I used to love running fast, you know, when I was doing track sessions before. But now when it gets to the speedy stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this massive fear of running fast that, you know, you're going to get stopped before you get to the finish line, before you complete a lap. And this is in your head. And It's all in my head. Yeah. And then you come around and it's actually not bad at all. You're kind of thinking, oh, wow, I can still do this if I want to. <laughs> But it's like a fear factor type thing. And I mean, even, you know, someone said to me when I went to that track race recently, 5,000 meters, they said, do you still get nervous for these things? And I said, oh, yeah, more. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You start to say to yourself, why am I doing this again? (laughs) I don't need to do this. (laughs) But there's some somewhere in my head that wants me to do it and has convinced me that it's a good idea. It's always a good idea at the time. And this is probably true for so many people who, you know, are out with some friends and they agree to run a marathon and then they get up the next morning and they think, oh, what did I agree to last night (laughs) to run a marathon? 
And even when you stand on the start line of the marathon and you've done all the training and you're prepared and as ready as can be, and I, I've been there and I've done this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's a long way, 26 miles. That's a really long way. How, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and it's just that one moment or thought that comes into your head and it's like you have to deal with it. You have to kind of say, no, no, I want to do this. This yeah, is quiet, you. I've trained for this. <laughs> and so I think that maybe that's what um, I say to myself is that, no, you want to do this. Mm. So I think that's well, the kind of self-talk I give to myself. Yeah, and this will be a relief, I think, for a lot of people to think that even you are having these thoughts and that w we all have to kind of go, that's not me. That's my brain in a protective mode or uh, like this is some of this stuff is actually jigsaw.ie stuff that I've read where it's like recognizing that you are not your thoughts. That's not necessarily who you are. That thought that you just had is your consciousness presenting an alternative to you because you're an evolved intellectual being that can present alternative realities to yourself. So you on the start line going, what am I doing here? <laughs> is actually your brain being in good shape. Your brain's like, hey, we got to watch ourselves. This might hurt. But the other part of your brain that's much more refined and understands the consequences and can think further along through evolution can go, no, don't 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 listen to that guy for a minute. We're going to feel great at the end of this. And you actually do want to do this. That being said, Sonia, sometimes our mentality shifting and going dark and heading to somewhere where it's like I've had listeners get in touch and say I can't summon the energy to get out there at the moment. And we are living in strange days like this is the bleakest time that I can remember. I mean, you, there's so much death and there's so much anxiety and unknown that this getting out there to do this thing that this show is about that you've been t coaching us all upon is hard and it's harder for people at different stages of the last 12 months than maybe ever in their lives. At what point, Sonia, do we listen? At what point do we say, no, actually, my head telling me I'm not sure we should do this. Does that voice need to be listened to like that? This is maybe reflective of a bigger problem that, that that's going on with you, that maybe you've overtrained, maybe you haven't taken a week off. Do you agree that there is a point at which if you're really struggling with your mental state towards running, that you might need to take a pull and have a listen? I think you have to review yourself at that point, because I think that's the point where stress is coming into you. It's kind of taken over your whole being. It's taking you over both physically and mentally. And so I was reading this thing before and it was saying, you know, the reason we get stressed about something is when we have a lot of stuff going on in our life. Like you have your, your work life and your home life. And for many people, you know, that's all overlapping now in the house. So there's no escape. So they're all kind of fighting each other in the work and the home. And to try and find the balance between the two to make it work. And then you 
throw in exercise on top of that, that there are certain times when you can feel a bit overloaded and you're kind of like, I can't cope with this now. And so you can't lose your work. You can't lose your home and your family. Like they're, you know, for most people, that is the priority. And, you know, that for me, it became the priority. For a long time, running would have been a priority. But then all of a sudden, your your home life and your family and then the other work activities that you do, all of a sudden they're a priority and exercise is just this extra thing that you do because you enjoy doing it. And even though it can become an essential thing to do every day, that can be the first thing that kind of goes and you're thinking, do I really have time to do this? And so I think it's to just try and get that fine balance right so that you know how much is enough and you're not kind of overreaching in every area of your life that you start to question do I have time for this? I think. And uh, why am I? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, I think that that's spot on. I think that's really spot on. In fact, John Connell, who people will remember from an episode of our show here, who wrote the fabulous running book and the cow book, he was in touch during the week. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but he said that uh, he'd lost the joy of it. He'd lost that the buzz of the run. He took a month to walk and just <laughs> made walking the thing for for the month and that the joy returned of its own accord. I, I do think that there's there's a lot to be said for that. If you're listening to this and you're going, I'd love to be back out there and I just can't find the crack in it anymore. That that John Connell approach could work for you. Uh, like you effectively did that yourself, Sonia, with that little bit brief kind of suspiog away from from athletics altogether, obviously did that for you on that level. We do need to get on to talk about Shoe Dog, right? Uh, our book of the month uh, is Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight memoir about the creator of Nike, Phil Knight himself. And uh, Sonia, you recommended this book. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm listening to it, I'm going, why did Sonia recommend this book? <laughs> and other times I'm like, whoa, that's incredible. That's a great moment in this. But I... I uh, have you been reading back through it or have you just set me on um, this task? I've mostly set you on this task. Yeah, I, w- I want to know where you're at, yeah, well, where, what you're up to. Well, the tragic death of Steve Prefontaine has taken place in the book. And Sonia last week explained to us exactly who Pre was. I did a bit of a, a rabbit hole search of him on YouTube. And what an extraordinary athlete he was. He probably, Sonia, 24 years old when he died, like... Who knows what he would have done later on and with the advances in the technology that was about to come on track that he was on the front line of. That was an incredibly sad moment. But my problem with the book at the moment, Sonia, is maybe it's the way the guy is, that is reading it to me. Because as we all know, if you listen to an audiobook, sometimes the person reading it isn't reading it the way the writer intended it to be read. The, I find Phil Knight himself a quite not very likable. Would you go along with that? I don't know. Did you feel that? Um, I think I got to like him. I was surprised. I wasn't, I was very apprehensive about reading that book and I did carry it around for a couple of years before I actually read it. And then I surprised myself Mm. because I really got into it. And I think maybe because there was a few different places he went and people he mentioned, and then I knew who he was talking about. Right. 
So there's always, I think there's always a bit of a connection that brings you back to a book. Absolutely. Well, that's the same reason I read a lot of uh, comedian autobiographies, that they mention a lot of the clubs that I've played and promoters I know. And that is a kind of hook, isn't it? Where you're like, I actually know who he's talking about there. Or or, I remember that moment. Yeah. And then you can see the place and you can hear the voice. Mm. And, And I think you're right there with the voice of a book is so important. And when you read it yourself, you create these voices in your head. Yeah. And so then you have your own version of the character. But when somebody else is reading it. It's kind of taken from you. Yeah, they're interpreting their version mm. of the character. And but so then the, it just depends on how you like, like that person or not. But, you know, as well as I do, as well as anyone does listening to this, that, you know, there are ethical issues surrounding the shoe industry and they've become a beast like the it's so funny to read the parts of this book and I do recommend people read it even though I think you need to have a kind of a business interest to to really enjoy the book you'd probably give it five stars if you were an entrepreneur trying to get your own business off the ground because a lot of it is about him taking gambles doing things that that like stealing the folder from the Japanese businessman who's gone to the loo. Like some of the stuff is is batshit and a bit like not very like that's not quite right. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that when somebody's writing a book about themselves, right, and you've had this experience, they must know how negatively they can come off if they were to tell their full truth, because nobody's a full superhero. Nobody's like an, an angel. But there are times in this where he's talking about neglecting his kids, where he's talking about the butt face conferences that they had, where they're all off getting smashed drunk and buying rounds for people in bars they didn't know. And I just thought, is this guy just a big lads lad who's just like a super ladsy guy who kind of hit the jackpot uh, through kind of brute force. Like, uh, I don't know. Did you ever get that sense from this Phil Knight book? Well, I think I was able to put it in a time period where it was written. Mm. And so I think if you put it into like this would have been in not when it was written, when the when the things took, took place. place. Yeah. So in the. Yeah, so this was in the 70s a lot of the stuff that's going on that he's talking about. Mm. I think 72 was when Nike was first founded. And then, you know, so a lot of it is through the 70s and people did things differently back then. So I think a lot of the stuff that you're reading and you're kind of questioning it definitely wouldn't happen now. Yeah, it seems very anchorman y. You wouldn't be able to get away with it. Yeah, but equally, like this, the way he was treated by the Japanese and, mm. you know, the, the things, the shoes not turning up when they're supposed to turn up. And, you know, that wouldn't happen either. Yeah. So, you know, there was no real kind of accountability on either side. It was just kind of like, do no, we trust each other or not? Yeah. And, you know, I think it, there was, there's probably lots of things in there where he was just lucky that it worked out. Mm. And then there was a few times when it didn't work out, when a few shoe orders, you know, they just all fell apart. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Do you ever, when when you have, I know you have loads of 
sneakers. Do you call them sneakers or <laughs> oh, well, yeah. shoes? I call them a lot of things. <laughs> Tina calls them a massive waste of, one, massive waste of money. <laughs> I, uh, I call runners, them runners. Runners are, yeah. runners are your running shoes, right? Runners. But, yeah. then, but then your collection of other walkabout shoes. Are yeah. they sneakers or are they runners as well? Yeah, I call them, I have called them ever... kicks. That's what I've called them in the past, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever pick them up um, when you get them and look at where they were made? Yes. I do that all the all time. The time. Like, yeah. All the time. But you can get two of the same shoe. And I would, this would happen to, well, it used to happen to me regularly when I would have lots of running shoes and you'd have a stash of them and you could have the exact same shoe made in different places. Mm. And, and because of that, it would be, as much as it's supposed to be the same, it would be different. It'd be slightly different, yeah. You know, made in, yeah. Like, I picked one up today now and it was made in Vietnam. Like, wow, this is made in Vietnam. <laughs> and then you kind of, you know, to think, but it was this shoe was sent from Japan to Australia, but it was made in Vietnam. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's this whole kind of shoe trail all around the world. And, yeah, I mean, that's just another conversation altogether. And, and it's a really difficult one, I think. Well, the, well, the, fakes, is, the fakes is the biggest threat to their industry, right? The fake knock-off market and I know this specifically from collecting Air Jordans that the fakes are spotless and I'm not promoting people buying these fakes because again they're not we have no guarantee that they're not being made in sweatshops whatever we uh, know about actual Nike production lines there's really no regulation on what these places are doing or who's making them but they're so immaculate, Sonia. Like they're they're perfect renderings of these shoes sold for a fraction of the price. And it was interesting to me in the book that first time he got knocked off and how, you know, it was seen as a real it was a, the highest compliment was that somebody is knocking off our shoes. And he was like, like the 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 craftsmanship on this shoe was so good. That he just went over and bought the factory and was like, OK, you're going to be making our shoes now. I thought, I thought that was a, that was a revelation to me that that blew my mind out my ears that that, that could even happen. But uh, I have a while to go. The yeah, the fakes are better than the real. So I, I, I have a while to go in it yet. I, I will get there. I do recommend people get it like it is. It is a good one for the run if you want to get the audiobook, even though I might turn up the speed <laughs> at which your man is reading it. I was going to say, have we a deadline when you're going to finish this book and we get on to a new one? <laughs> yeah, I guess the end of the month. I mean, we should do one, one a month. And if people want to suggest yeah. a book that they'd like read uh, in, in our book club for Irishman Running Abroad, please do. You know how to contact us, irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. I read every single email and do my level best to reply to every single one. Same as with the comments on uh, Strava Running Club. Uh, a couple of quick notes that I need to get to on Thursday, I'll be back with uh, our Friday morning, Marion McKeown and the new Scandals in America podcast. So the Irishman in America podcast is obviously changing shape because Donald Trump isn't in office anymore. There's less kind of imminent danger to the world that we need to report on. We'll still talk about the news over there and everything that's happening with the Biden administration. But Marion is taking us by the hand through some of the greatest scandals ever to take place in America. And last week she brought us to Palm Beach where obviously Donald Trump lives, Jeffrey Epstein has lived 
and why this weird little enclave of America, this tiny stretch, Sonia, like four miles long, 200, 500 meters wide, produces all of this scandal. And what Marion uncovers is that it actually dates back to the creation of Palm Beach. It's a riveting episode. Uh, and next Sunday, I'll be back with a big organ donation week episode. I won't say who's going to be on it, but it is going to be a big, big episode just to get the conversation going about organ donation as we head into organ donation week in Ireland. Is there is there anything, Sonia, that I should be doing or our listeners should be doing after a big week like last week where we did the Mother's Day 10K, St. Patrick's Day 5K, and people might be feeling a bit spent given that, you know, willpower is a finite resource. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it, it's a good idea to have a a bit of a down week every now and then. And, you know, after a week like this, as much as you want to take advantage of all your fitness and, you know, you want to, you know, you know, get better, run faster, run further, mm. more isn't always better. Sometimes you have to kind of absorb all that training and, you know, big efforts like, you know, doing the, the Mother's Day 10K, the St. Patrick's Day 5K, even though they feel easy and they're a lot of fun, particularly, and even, you know, just doing them virtually, like if you're doing them with people, you definitely get a boost and you get the adrenaline kick. But I think people still get that, even doing it virtually, when you know there's other people out there, you know, doing what you're doing. And it does give you that boost when you're out running. Um, to, yeah, you do need to tone it down a little bit and have a little bit of a relaxing time out week. And, just run because you want to run. And, you know, if you ask yourself, why am I running? You kind of think, because I just want to go out there and get some fresh air. And I just want to look around and enjoy it. Or I want to listen to this podcast that I'm saving up. And it's a time out, you know. So I think, you know, it's good to do it because in your heart, you really want to do it. Love and it. not have that focus and intensity on yeah. trying to push yourself, but to actually kind of sit back and to just, you know, space space your runs out and yeah, appreciate that, that you can do that. And, you know, if you need to take a day off, do take it off and, you know, don't kind of feel guilty about it, which, 100%. you know, that's one thing that we all need to eliminate 100%. is that guilt that you feel when you actually take that time to just look after yourself a bit more and not always feel like it's got to be high intensity. Yeah, I've got my own little catchphrase for this one that you're talking about there. And that is that uh, I feel like gratitude is the best performance enhancer I have uh, any day. I'm feeling like super grateful that I get to do this. Uh, suddenly the, the runs better. I feel better that that sense of appreciation pushes me forward. And of course, we have another Lent event, Sonia. I am a week, we're two weeks away from getting the treats back. Uh, Elevation is the final event. Make sure to register for it over on Strava, where we're going to try and go as high as possible. You sent me an amazing breakdown that I'll post in the group and on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad of all the potential summits we could reach across the week. What's a realistic one to aim for, Sonia? What, what, what are we thinking like? Uh, 
Well, the, the Irish mountains are pretty realistic, <laughs> but you want to know the actual height. So I think a thousand meters. Okay. Um, even though I I didn't quite get there myself <laughs> when I when I did have a high week, but I think you know anywhere a thousand meters is pretty realistic for a lot of people. But yeah, maybe all your runs. And I but I think we need to go Sunday to Sunday. Okay. So we'll do eight days. Right. Yeah, uh, so we can start next Sunday. So if I go up finish on my Easter local Sunday. hill, right, if I go up my local hill, just to get this clear, because I feel like people aren't 100% clear on what the elevation event is. If I go up it and I run back down it and I go back up it, does that cancel out my elevation that I've just done? Because you go down, you mean? Yeah. No, 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 no. So it'll give you, it'll it'll calculate your total elevation. So the total amount that you've gotcha. climbed. And then I think it will also tell you the highest elevation that you get to. Gotcha. So, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a bit like people do this thing called Everest thing. So we could do like mm. Karan tooling where <laughs> you run up and down. Karan tooling around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, what's the other one over there? Croke Patrick. That would yeah. be a <laughs> good one for springtime. Because a lot of people, they, this is around the time when people start to go up there or they, you know, when it's normal times that you could virtually do it by just covering the elevation, which Krug Patrick, I think, is less than a thousand metres. I'm pretty sure it's like 700 or something like that, but it's more achievable anyway. Fantastic. OK, well, let's do it. It's elevation. It's the next Sonia Sullivan designed Irishman running abroad challenge event for Jigsaw.ie. A massive, massive thank you as well to everybody that continued to donate to my I donate page there for this challenge. You know, we're we're headed like thousands that we've raised so far. The initial goal uh, was 20,000. And I do feel that we'll get there together. Thank you so much, though, everyone that's done that as a little treat for patrons of the podcast and for frontline workers and frontline charities. We're putting on another Return of the Crack online comedy club this Friday. Josh Widdicombe will be on, Tom Stade, uh, Justin Moorhouse and Deborah Francis White from the Guilty Feminist podcast will be on as well. It's going to be an epic night. You'd need laughter. As much as you need running, you need to laugh to make it through these hard, hard weeks. There's also Notions 11, my brand new stand up special that's on the RT player that I believe you watched over the weekend. Sonia, thanks for tuning in. They, all these views count. It was great fun. It was really, I, I actually I was watching it kind of while cooking the dinner one day. <laughs> right. And then I had and then I had to sit down because, you know, you have to really yeah, tune in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You miss things. Yeah, yeah. But no, well, I did. I really enjoyed it. Good. I'll put that on the next poster. <laughs> Sonia Sullivan, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Great. John Marr does the extra research. Um, Brian Connolly is, has a big week this week. So, Brian, we're all thinking of you. Uh, Tina and Mikey make it all possible. But you guys listening, you make it all possible. We, we, we're not doing this were it not for you and your support and of course our patrons over on Patreon if you want some more Irishman Abroad in your life that's the place to go get access to hundreds of episodes in our archives videos and a lot more and of course free entrance to the comedy club and a massive thanks to you Sonia as always real pleasure uh, have a great week over there have a great week and yeah rest up ready for the hills next week I will of course I like a manifest.
manifesto, put it to the testo. Took a trip down to meet the anarchist party. I met a goofy guy, he was hardy party. Said, I know a little Latin and a cuss and a kite. Said, I don't know what it means. He said, neither do I. Eat natural food, bait twice daily. Fill your nostrils up with gravy. Don't drink tea and don't drink coffee. Cover your chin in Yorkshire toffee. Dancing in the disco, bumper to bumper. Wait a minute. Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Dancing in the disco, bumper to bumper. Wait a minute. Where's me jumper? 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 Oh no. Dancing at the disco Go, go, go Dancing at the disco Oh no, oh no, oh no Dancing at the disco Go, go, go Dancing at the disco Oh no, oh no It's alright to say things can only get better You have lost your brand new sweater I know I had it on when I had my tea And I'm sure I had it on in the laboratory Oh no Dancing in the disco Go, go, go Dancing in the disco Oh no, oh no Dancing in the disco Bum, bum, to bum, Wait a minute Where's me jumper? 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 It's alright to say things can only get better. You have lost your brand new sweater. Pure new wool and perfect stitches. Not the type of jumper that makes you itches, oh no. Dancing in the disco. Go, go, go. Dancing in the disco. Oh no, oh no, and my mother would be so, so angry. And my brother will be so, so angry. And my girlfriend will be so, so angry. And my dog would be so, so angry. Cause I was dancing at the disco, bum, bum, to bum, Wait a minute, where's the jumper? 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 Oh no!